So we are on chapter 19, verse 22. We are talking about kindness and lying and all kinds of other relevant topics. Um, we're on Malbim Amishle, page 201. For those of you who are following along in this version of the book. Hi, Tammy. Hi, Dana's doggy. <laughs> oh, <I> that fish. <laughs> All right. So we're on verse 22. Here we go. 22. Ta'avat adam chasto. The mark of a man is his kindness. Vitov rush me ish kazav. And a poor man is better than a liar. All right. So there's various ways to interpret this verse. We're going to go with, hi, Leslie. We're going to go with um, hi. The, the commentary here where we talk about um, the, the mark of a man. Ta'avat also means the desire of a man, which could be which could be meant to understood that a person really desires to do good in this world. And I, I really believe this, that people... People who are really angry and hurtful and negative have a reason for why they are angry and hurtful and negative. I don't believe that people are born that way. I feel like life circumstances can shape people that way, which, by the way, does not mean that they are compelled to behave that way because of life circumstances. It does mean that they might have a lot more work to do on themselves if they don't want to become angry, negative, and vengeful. But that truly, like, a person wants to feel that they are making a positive impact in the world. That's really, I so believe this. I think that's really like the deep-seated desire of every person. No, nobody comes into this world and says, hey, how about if I'm really bad and everybody hates me? Woo, go me. That's not a thing. You know, some, sometimes people act that way like as a defense or because that's what they were taught or because they think they have no choice. Right. And then a person has to learn how to override that. Hi, Debbie. However, the Malbim is explaining this differently. Instead of explaining it or translating it as the desire of a man is to do an act of kindness, he says, the mark of a man is his kindness. That means that what brands you, what defines you, what defines you is how kind you are. You know, Everybody talks about branding, like, oh, you want to brand your, you know, yourself this way or that way. And this is on brand and this is off brand. And, you know, what's your brand? Imagine if you would say, well, my brand is nice. That's my brand. I remember a friend of mine, her son got married and the marriage did not work out. And it was like a really a very messy divorce. And then he was like back in the dating game. And I said to her, you know, What's your son looking for? Maybe I know someone. She goes, well, he's looking for nice. <laughs> She's like, that. that's what's on the list this time around. We're just looking for nice. You know, it's really underrated being kind. Okay. So the mom says the kindness that a man does stamps his personality and leaves its imprint on his character. Now, this is very interesting. We're not just talking about the mark that you leave on the world or how other people see you, right? Like it's your brand. That's how you brand yourself. You're nice. Actually, your acts of kindness 
leave an impression on you and they impact you and they affect you. And this is something that we've talked about so many times where your external behaviors actually affect who you are on the inside. And that's why in my book, Soul Construction, the subtitle of my book is Shape Your Character Using uh, using Eight Steps from the Timeless Jewish Practice of Musser. By using the tools of Musser, you are shaping your character. That's how you shape your character. That's how you mark yourself, right? Listen to how he says it. The kindness that a man does stamps his personality and leaves its imprint on his character. Usually we think, well, the stuff that I do in the world makes an imprint on somebody else. It, it, it influences somebody else. Guess what? It leaves its imprint on you and it influences you. The more times you act with kindness, the more you will influence yourself to be a kind person. So make no mistake, we are impressionable even to ourselves. You know, that's a big part of the reason why we're not supposed to speak Lush and Hara. We're not supposed to speak negatively about each other. Hi, April. And we think about this usually in terms of impact, right? If I speak negatively about somebody else, oh, well, maybe somebody else won't like them or maybe I'll harm their reputation. You know who gets affected by Lush and Hara? You do. Let's say that you see somebody at some kind of event or function and she looks really good, right? And your friend says to you, whoa, she looks really good. And you say to yourself, yeah, I wonder how many surgeries she had on that face. Not that any of you would say that. I'm totally inventing a story, okay? Now, by you saying that out loud, and this is psychology 101, by you saying that out loud, you are shaping your own thought patterns about that person. Now, let's say that thought pops into your head, right? And you wonder how many surgeries she's had on that face, but you, you choose not to say it out loud. And instead you say out loud, yes, she really does look so beautiful. I'm so happy for her. Guess what? You have just caused your mind to shift from negative, vindictive, and judgmental to positive, kind, and complimentary. You have impacted yourself more than anybody else, right? So that's the first part of the verse. The second part of the verse is, a poor man is better than a liar. So the Malam in the commentary is connecting these two halves of the verse, right? The first half of the verse being that when you speak kindly, when you act kindly, you leave your impression on, you, you shape your own personality. A liar, on the other hand, who promises kindness and does not carry through, Right. So let's say you say to your friend, oh, I'm going to come early and help you, you know, set up for your, you know, mother's birthday party. OK. And then totally forgot, didn't put it in my calendar or I I looked at my reminder and I was like, well, I don't really feel like doing that after all. And I just totally blow it off. Right. A liar, on the other hand, who promises kindness and does not carry through is worse than a poor man who would like to do acts of kindness, but has not the means. So let's say you have a person who is poor and let's say they have to work every single day. They have to work on Sunday. They can't come and help you set up for the birthday party, right? Notice how I made the birthday party on Sunday, not on Saturday. So they can't come, they can't come set up for the birthday party, right? 
So you're like, oh, that person doesn't do acts of kindness. Yeah, but that person wants to do acts of kindness. The person who commits and promises and says that they'll do acts of kindness, but then they don't follow through, not because they can't, but because they don't prioritize it. That person, you could say what, they're both the same. Neither of them are doing the act of kindness. Yeah, but it's not the same. There's a world of difference. First of all, between the person who said they would do it and didn't do it, that means that they're lying, right? And a lot of times, a lot of times when people say, yeah, oh my gosh, I would, I would love to do that. Half the time they kind of know in their own heads, that's not a chance in the world that that's happening, right? This is why I'm very careful when people send me podcasts and 45 minute YouTube videos, I would love to watch them all, listen to them all. You know, someone will send me a link and be like, here's a two and a half hour documentary that you should totally watch. You know, don't get me wrong. I'm so touched by all the beautiful content that people send me. Sometimes I have time to listen and watch. Sometimes I just don't. But I will not say, oh my gosh, I'll totally check it out unless I will. So if I ever respond to you and I say, thank you so much for sending that means I don't think I have time to watch it. I'm not going to say that boldly because I don't want to be rude and I want to be grateful and appreciative, but don't commit to doing something that you have no intention of doing, right? And, and that's the world of difference between someone who gives off the impression that they're going to do acts of kindness and they have the capacity to do it and they don't do it versus the person who would love to do it, cannot do it because they don't have the means or the discretionary time but doesn't either lie to anybody or give off the impression that they're going to. Now, I have to share with you a very small incident that happened last night. So somebody who used to be a neighbor of mine, so she used to live on my street, does not live on my street anymore. Um, her son recently got married and they were having like a dessert reception. So at first, when I got the invitation and I showed it to my husband, I'm like, do you want to go to this? He's like, yeah, let's go to this. So I RSVP'd, full intention of going. Great. But sometimes, you know, you RSVP for something. And then when it's actually, you know, like 20 degrees outside and it's dark and it's cold and you're tired and you're like, oh, I don't really feel like going. Fine. So it was like, 7 o'clock p.m. It was after dinner. I had to take my daughter to an appointment. I was totally not dressed for like a nice affair. I was wearing just like a jean skirt and a sweater. And my husband says, oh, hey, we have that thing tonight. And I'm like, yeah. So um, <laughs> I don't really know if I'm going to go to that because I'm like not dressed up. He's like, well, you could get dressed up. <laughs> I'm like, men. <laughs> Especially my husband, he literally wears a white shirt and a dark suit every single day of his life. No, he does not know what it's like to get dressed up. Okay. So I'm thinking to myself and I'm thinking to myself and I'm like, you know, bottom line, like I RSVP'd and I said I was going. So it's not nice for me to just blow it off because I'm lazy. It's basically being lazy. I'm like, okay, Ruchi, what character trait is going on here? Oh, it's lazy. <laughs> I don't want to put on my wig and change my outfit and put on some makeup. I just don't feel like it. I want to get into the shower and get into pajamas. That's what I want. But I was like, well, you committed. If you were a maybe, you should have said you were a maybe. You didn't say you were a maybe. You said you were a yes. 
So I said, okay, fine, I'll get dressed up. And my husband's like, you are such a mitzvah girl. So I got dressed and I went to this thing. And you know what? The mom was so appreciative and she was so happy to see me. And I was like, I was really happy that I went and I felt really good about myself. And that goes back to the beginning of the verse when I translated it the first way that the desire of a person is to do chesed. The bottom line is when you do push yourself out of your comfort zone to make somebody else smile, you feel so good after. And especially like me, if you had to push yourself through a muster moment, right? And say, oh, hey, there's my laziness. Hi, laziness. No, we're not going to do lazy tonight. We're going to do mitzvah tonight. Okay. You feel so good. I felt really, really good. And I saw some of my friends and I got to chit chat with them. And everyone's like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, the wedding. And it, it gave me such a lift and, and, and it was great. And I'm so happy that I did it. So, you know, I don't think any of us reads this verse and say, oh, there's me, the liar who says I'm going to do things. And none of us thinks of ourselves as liars. But, you know, sometimes we have all these good intentions. And then when the moment comes, we're like, oh, I don't really feel like doing that. But if you gave your word and you committed, don't be a liar then, right? Then you, yes. And there's, don't get me wrong. There's a time for self-care and there's a time to go to bed early. I'm all for it. But if you gave someone your word that you're going to be there for them, then you want to be a truth teller and you want to push yourself to do that act of kindness. And you really do feel so good about yourself after. Okay. Welcome, Susan. Any thoughts or comments, ladies? I actually do have a question. So what if for some reason something comes up and you really can't go and it's maybe an illness or something, do you then um, send an email afterwards apologizing for not showing up? Or I would. Did it go? Yeah. yeah, I would. I would say, I'm oh, so sorry. I, I'm so, so sorry to miss your simcha. I was sick, you know. Yeah. You know, sometimes what I do is... um. If people have a simcha that I know I can't go to, you know, and in and, and the religious community there are, you know, thank God, there are so many simchas, like there's always somebody, you know, celebrating a bar mitzvah, a bat mitzvah, there's always somebody getting married, you know, people have large families and there's always a lot of simchas. So, and, and it's a close knit community and, you know, thank God we get invited to a lot of things. There's no way that I can attend them all, you know, and especially because we run our own synagogue and we have a big kiddish, I can't go running to everybody else's kiddish on a Shabbat morning. Some of the other synagogues are like a 20 minute walk away. We often have guests for lunch. I just can't. So what I'll usually do is, um, and those aren't like the kinds of events either that people specifically need an RSVP, um, but what I'll try to do is I'll try to either call them or text them or leave them a voice message on Friday morning. Um, and I'll say, hey, I know you have a simcha tomorrow, whatever. I can't come, but I just wanted to wish you mazel tov and to say that I'm thinking of you. And I find that people appreciate it so much because, first of all, in a way, like when you go to the actual event, like there's so many other people there that sometimes you even get like a little lost in the shuffle. But just the fact that to show people like I'm thinking of the fact that you're making a simcha. You know, it's so considerate. Like now that we're making our own simcha and we sent out a lot of invitations via email, but we sent out a chunk of invitations via snail mail, either for my, you know, family members who haven't quite nailed technology yet, or, you know, just some like more members of like my mother's generation who they don't, 
you know, to them, like if, if you didn't get a paper invitation, you weren't really invited. Um, anyway, so a few people have texted me and called me when they, the day they got my invitation in the mail and they're just like, oh my gosh, we got your invitation. We're so excited. You know, it made me feel like a million dollars. Any of you who have made a simcha know that when you send out those invitations, it's almost like, oh my gosh, it's real. Like I just sent those invitations out into the universe. And then like, if you hear crickets, you know, it's kind of like, well, doesn't anybody care that I'm making a simcha, you know? So it just shows like going to the actual simcha is not the only way to make somebody feel special. There's many ways to make somebody feel special, you know, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about acts of kindness. Acts of kindness can take so many different forms. It's just helping another person feel seen and heard and valued. That's really the bottom line. Okay. Any other thoughts on verse 22? Okie doke. Let's move on to 23. You're at, uh, this is on page 202. You're at Hashem L'chaim. Hey, there's our, there's our word, L'chaim Center people, <laughs> Chicago friends. You're at Hashem L'chaim. The fear of Hashem, which I prefer to retranslate as reverence, the reverence of God leads to life, right? You guys know that song. To life, to life. L'chaim. You guys remember that song from Fiddler on the Roof? <laughs> l'chaim, l'chaim to life. We'll give you something to think about, something to drink about. Okay, that's enough of that. Yerat Hashem l'chaim, the reverence of God leads to life. V'saveya yalin bal ra. And he who has it will rest satisfied. He will not be visited by evil. Okay, so now we're talking about this reverence for God, this reverence for God, which leads to so many good things. It leads to life. If you have it, you will rest satisfied. So the Hebrew word is saveya yalin. It means that when you lay down at night, you will feel saveya. Saveya means content. And he will not be visited by evil. So what does this reverence for God mean? What is this reverence? It's this respect and awe that there is something greater than ourselves running the universe. That's what it is. And also a reverence that you do not fully understand what that being is and that you never will because it is much greater than you and it is much bigger than you and it is much wiser than you. So there's a humility attached to this reverence, right? All reverence has humility, right? If I am reverent because there's somebody very smart or very accomplished sitting in front of me, right? What does that mean? That means I feel humbled that I am sitting in the presence of greatness. So that is a part of reverence as well. Reverence also means that when I consider my life's choices, I am considering the presence of God in the world and what of my actions would contribute to God's desire and plan to the universe and which of my actions would detract from God's desire and plan to the universe. So there's also a reverence for a greater plan and design and purpose for the world and that I am an active player in that design and plan in the universe. All of that is contained in reverence. Okay, so now we go to the commentary. 
Fear of the Almighty, or again, as I prefer to say, reverence of the Almighty is different from all other fears. And that's why I don't like to use the word fear. In Hebrew, it's the same word, um, but the word fear in English has so much negativity attracted to attached to it that people like run away from fear. So that's why I don't like to use that word in connection to our relationship with God. So what are other forms of fear? Other kinds of fear shorten life, right? If you live your life in fear, you're constantly worrying, you're anxious. You can shorten your life. You can worry yourself sick. That's an expression for a reason. Prevent eating and sleeping, right? Sometimes people are so nervous they just can't eat. They don't sleep well, you know? I just saw this little video on Instagram this morning. This lady's like, she comes to her therapist and she's like, I don't know. I'm just feeling like so sad all the time. And her therapist is like, well, do you get out every day? No. Do you talk to people? No. Are you eating healthy? No. Are you sleeping well? No. Are you drinking water? No. Are you exercising? No. Got it. <laughs> okay. So people who worry all the time, they're, they're not eating well. They're not sleeping well. Like this is not healthy. That's why I do not like the word fear. Fear of Hashem on the contrary, which we call reverence, induces a person to eat and sleep well and live longer. That's why it says, he will rest satisfied. If you truly believe, and I have to mindfully remind myself of this literally every day, because when I go to sleep at night, my mind is racing. All the things that I left undone that day. I, I woke up at five o'clock this morning. I was like, oh my gosh, so-and-so never answered my email and I never followed up. I'm like, Ruchi Koval, you are messed up. <laughs> what is wrong with me? But I have to remind myself, sweetheart, you do not run the universe. Hashem runs the universe. So you can, as it says in our verse, Savea Yalin, you can rest satisfied. It's okay. If it's meant to be that you will remember about this email during the day when you're supposed to be thinking about emails, then Hashem will put it back in your head. And if it's not meant to be that you're supposed to remember about this, well, then you won't remember about this email and you're not God and you're not perfect and you don't have to remember everything. When we truly learn to lean in and surrender to the fact that we do not run the universe, that there is a higher power than us who has all the wisdom in the world and does not need us to be deputy God, we will rest better. You will eat well. Because you won't be nervous. You won't be nervous about the future. You won't be nervous about the present. You will live longer because you will be calmer and happier. And actually, stat statistics bear this out. That people who have a faith system, that they believe in a power greater than themselves, are healthier physically. It's fascinating. For this reverent fear is a creative emotion that rids one of all other anxieties and apprehensions. It means that I can leverage my reverence for God to let go of all my other worries. I don't have to worry about what this person is going to do. And I don't have to worry about the economy. And I don't have to worry about COVID. And I don't have to worry about the weather. And I don't have to worry about the Super Bowl. And I don't have to worry about anti-Semitism. It's not my job to worry about the whole world. 
it is somebody's job to worry about the whole world. And thankfully he doesn't need my help. So we only need to have one reverence or fear, and that is of God. And that will take away all of our fears. If we work it, if we really work on it, that has the power to take away all of our fears of literally everything else. Because you know what's fascinating? You almost always worry about the wrong things. All the things that you worried about didn't come true. And all the things you didn't know to worry about, those are the things that actually happen. You know, my husband and I have this little thing that we do if we have to have a difficult conversation with somebody. So we'll role play with each other, right? Okay, so then what if they say this? Well, then I'll say this. And then what if they say this? Okay, okay, let's role play. Okay, you be them. I'll be me. Okay, go. And we role play these conversations. We're like, okay, fine, I feel ready. Let's do it. You know, then you pick up the phone and make the phone call. And what happens? All the things you anticipated them saying is totally not what they said. Then they, they find all these other things to say. <laughs> so, okay, it's a good exercise anyways, right? But it's like, why bother worrying about all these things? You think any of us knew to worry about COVID? You know, I actually had a dream the other night that we were doing this event for young families and we went all out. Like we spent a gazillion dollars. It was this huge event. We rented this huge hall. And in the middle, these like security police come in and they're like, there's been another COVID outbreak. Everybody has to go home. The world is shutting down again. And I'm like, what? You know, and then I woke up and I'm like, did did I, did I ever, I'm like the opposite of a germaphobe, a germaphobe. I've never worried about germs in my life, but I feel like anybody who was a germaphobe, like as soon as COVID came along, they were like, see, I was right, <laughs> you know, but really we have no idea what we should be worrying about. So you might as well stop because it's not going to do anything good for you. So the commentary concludes by saying, uh, just going back to the beginning of the sentence, this reverent fear is a creative emotion that rids one of all other anxieties and apprehensions giving him confidence that the creator will protect him from all evil. So if you really work on your inner emotional state to say, there's only one being that I need to concern myself about, and that is God, and I can leave everything else in his capable hands, you will sleep better, you will eat better, you will be healthier, you will be happier, you will be calmer. Literally everything good will come to you. Which is not to say, by the way, that all the things that you want to happen will be hap will happen. But it means that you will be okay, even if they don't. This morning I was making my daughter a hot cocoa and I took out a mug from the cabinet and the mug said, everything's gonna be all right. And I wanted to cross it out and write, I'm going to be all right. I don't know if everything's going to be all right. Everything might not be all right, but I'm going to be all right because Hashem runs the world and he knows what he's doing. Okay. Thoughts or reflections on 23. Yeah, that was a nightmare, Lisa. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Okay. Let's move on to 24. The lazy man buries his hand in the dish. 
Gam el pihu lo yeshivena, and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Okay, so here we're talking about laziness, <laughs> which I referenced earlier, right? And here, King Solomon is describing this like exceptionally lazy person who's so lazy that he doesn't even have the energy. That he, he puts his hand in the dish to take something to eat, and he doesn't even have the energy to pull it back and bring the food to his mouth. So this is a pretty extreme form of laziness. And what's interesting about laziness is that everybody is lazy in different ways, meaning some people are very lazy to clean up their house. Some people love to clean up their house, but they hate to exercise. Some people love to exercise, but they hate to go grocery shopping, right? They only want to, you know, order the food online. Fine. Some people have no problem running errands, but the last thing they want to do is write thank you notes. Some people love writing thank you notes, but they hate I, whatever, fill in the blank. We all have our like Achilles heels of the things that we're lazy about, right? And certain things we really like to do, um, certain things we really don't like to do, certain things we feel anxious about doing them, or we don't feel like we're very good at doing them, or we're just not used to doing them, or for whatever the reason is, those are the things that we always procrastinate and like kind of push to the bottom of the priority pile. So it's interesting to notice as you go through your day, which activities do you find that you consistently prefer to do first? And which activities or tasks do you find that you consistently push off? And, you know, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that later. Oh, I'll do that tomorrow. Oh, I'll do that next week. Or, right, like the excuses, the rationalizations that we make for ourselves for why we don't have to do that things. And because it's good for us to know what our areas of laziness are. Everybody has them. Everybody has their you know, weaknesses, there, there are things that they don't, that they just don't have the excitement to do. And so they push it off as long as they can. Excuse me. Okay. So if we go to the commentary, the commentary is quoting here from chapter 21. The strong desire of the lazy one will kill him for his hands refuse to labor. This is talking about the person who is so lazy that he refuses to get a job. And eventually this person will not be able to sustain himself because he's simply not willing to work hard. He only wants to do things that are easy. He will not move them, even if under the direct compulsion of hunger. So in the, the metaphor of our verse, we're talking about this Again, it's it's a symbol, right? This this person who stretches out his hands to the dish, but he's so lazy that he doesn't actually bring the food back to his mouth. Well, he, he's hungry, right? But he can't be bothered. Now, again, this sounds ridiculous. You, you already put your hands out to the dish. You can't bring your hands to your mouth. But if anybody has ever sat on the couch thinking to themselves, and by the way, I'm totally guilty, right? And thought to themselves, gosh, I'm really hungry. I should really get up and get a snack. Nah, too lazy. I'll just stay here. Or how about this one? I, I should really get up from the couch. I really have to go to the bathroom. Nah, too lazy. I think I should stay here. <laughs> well, we've all done this with certain things, right? So King Solomon is decrying this person. You know what he's saying we should actually do? We should force ourselves to get up for the only reason of overpowering our laziness, of showing our laziness that it doesn't have control over us. You know, and most of the time, the hardest thing is starting. 
This is true of everything. This is true of exercising. This is true of cleaning up your house. This is true of making an uh, annoying phone call. Just force yourself to start. Literally the first 30 seconds is the worst part. And then you get used to it and you just do it and you get, you know, inertia takes over and you just do it, right? I was I was watching this video of this woman who was trying to um, motive, like she was like, I don't know, some kind of a fitness instructor or something. And she was like, okay, so what do you do when you want to go out, you know, go for a run, but you know, you really don't want to go out for a run. So you look around your house and you say, oh, this house is so messy. I, I can't go out for a run. I have to clean out my house. Right. By the way, this is a very fascinating thing that people who are acting lazy do is I call it productive procrastination. You find other things to do while you procrastinate so that you feel productive and you forget that you're really being lazy. OK, so she's like, well, no, I can't go out for a run. I have to clean up my house. So she's like, that's not a me problem. That's a future me problem. When I come home, I'll have to deal with my messy house. That's not a present me problem. That's a future me problem right? What is the present me problem? The present me problem is I need to go out and exercise and I want to go out and exercise. So she's like, okay, so that that's how you motivate yourself for the first minute. And she's like, you just tell yourself, I'm going to run for one minute. And then after one minute, you tell yourself, I'm just going to run for one more minute. And you know, like one minute at a time, you need to teach your laziness that it doesn't have power over you, but rather you have power over it. So just tell yourself, I'm just going to start. I'm, I, I have this challenge sometimes when, you know, I, I, on a good day, I do my prayers twice a day, once in the morning and once in the afternoon before sunset. So, you know, sunset is always changing, right? In the earliest winter months here in Cleveland, sunset is at like, begins at 5 p.m. In the later months in the summer, sunset can be as late as almost 9 p.m., right? So depending on what time of the day it is, you know, it's like, it's afternoon, I'm at work, it's dinner time, it's after dinner time, whatever, you know, and I'm like, oh, oh I, I should really go do my afternoon prayers. And I'm like, oh, but I have other things to do. Oh, why? Because when I'm praying, I have to really like put my mind in like a calm, focused, meditative state and ignore everything else. It doesn't even take that long, but it's just the mental energy involved is something that I find I procrastinate. Even though when I do it, I feel so good about it and I feel so connected to Hashem and I'm so grateful and I, there's all these things that I need to ask Hashem for. It's such a favor to me, right? But I just find that I procrastinate. I always say the hardest part is starting. So just get up and grab your prayer book and just start. And once you've started, the rest of you will get into gear. Okay, so he's talking again about this, this man who can't even bother to bring his hand back to his mouth. And you're like, what is this guy's problem? Well, we've all had that problem in different forms. Okay, even if under the direct compulsion of hunger, he takes some small action for the life of him, he cannot follow through, cannot bring it to his mouth. So we want to try to overcome this laziness and to try to have the energy and excitement, you know, to do things, you know, that's, that's part of doing a mitzvah is doing it with excitement and with energy and with joy. You know, if you're going to do it anyway, do it right. You know? So, um, so we will all want to try to think about where our weaknesses are in terms of laziness. And then what are some ways that we can over overcome those forms of laziness? So if any of you are willing to share, maybe, you know, what might be your particular difficulty uh, to overcome when it comes to this character trait, 
I would love to hear it. I would just say that I'm making it a habit. I'm just forcing myself to do it for a couple of weeks straight. And then I feel like it's so, once it's a habit, it's just easier to stay on it. Right. For sure. I will add knowing, um, you know, knowing the time of day. It's There's an interesting book. It just came to mind. I don't, I don't know if you ever talked about it called When by Daniel Pink. I don't know if you know that book. What's it called? It it's called One, W-H-E-N. Okay. And and he he just sort of, I haven't read it in a while, but it just sort of talks about the times of day that are, you know, your and I'm sure everybody's different, but I think that's like a little um, hack to kind of figure out, oh, I have the most energy in the morning. I better tackle, what is it, beat the frog, you know, first thing in the morning and, you know, <clears throat> just knowing the time of day that works for you best for productivity. It's, mm -hmm. it's an interesting. So I tried, I know for me, if I don't exercise first thing in the morning, not happening. I'll say that. Yeah. It's interesting. My husband is very much a morning person and he learned early on, like he, he gets so much done between 6 AM and 11 AM. So much done. And in the evening, he just, he just flat, like he, he, what's the word I'm looking for? He, I don't know, his energy wanes and, you know, and he used to feel bad about himself. Like, oh, I, I'm so unproductive at night. I'm like, yeah, but you're so productive in the morning. You can't burn the candle on both ends, you know? So my husband and I, um, I, we don't have kids at home. We're self-employed. So we tend to spend a lot of time together. And okay. so sometimes we'll come home from work and make dinner. And then we look at the kitchen. It's kind of like, yeah, it's a mess. And what we've started doing is he unloads the dishwasher. I load it and do the dishes. There's just something about emptying the dishwasher that I do not like doing. And he doesn't mind. So it's, and then also after entertaining or whenever, it's just like, hey, Jim, if you can unload it, I'll load it and finish dishes. And it just works beautifully. I love that. So sometimes you can make it work. You just, you know, partner up. That's so sweet. I like your story. And by the way, it's good to see your face. I'm glad your video worked today. <laughs> Thank you. I'm on my cell phone. I still can't get the computer working, but uh, nice to see everybody. So, you know, it's interesting what you said, Laura, about the time of day. So this morning, you know, I, I sometimes what happens is my husband's alarm clock will go off early because as I said, he's a morning person. So he sets his alarm for 530. I set my alarm for seven. Um, but sometimes I wake up with his alarm and then I have a hard time falling back asleep. So um, I was up from like 5.30 to 6.15 and I was just doing stuff on my phone, whatever. And then I went back to sleep. So when I woke up, I, I wasn't as well rested as I could have been. And I, I walked into the kitchen to, you know, see my girls off to school. And I felt myself being like lazy, like being kind of grumpy and kind of blah, 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 you know? So I said to myself, okay, I have to like overcompensate for this. Like, that's not how I want to send my girls off in the morning. So I'm like, good morning. Everybody, 
<laughs> I was like totally overdoing it, you know, but I found myself perking up. Like, this is what I was saying before about how you, you stamp your own personality, you know, with your behavior. So I was like, whoa, mom's in a good mood, uh, you know, and I'm like, well, of course I'm in a good mood. Like, isn't everybody in a great mood this morning? <laughs> like what happened to you? <laughs> you know? So I feel like sometimes when it comes to this aversion that we have to doing certain things or like, I'm not in the mood of adulting today. You know, I'm not in the mood of making my daughter hot cocoa and being like, have a great day, sweetheart. Um, so we have to like over, like almost overcompensate for those like lazy or schleppy or tired feelings that we have, you know, and like jump, don't get off the couch, jump off the couch, you know, don't walk into the kitchen, run into the kitchen, you know? So we kind of like outsmart our Yatesahara and we, we overcome it, but then it really does affect you on the inside. By the time I left to work, I was in a great mood. I was, I was joyous. I was happy. I was like, well, if I'm tired later, I'll just have a coffee or something. I'll forget, I'll figure it out. It's okay. You know? So we really do have the power to fuel our own moods and personalities so much more than we think we do. And that is very empowering, you know? Okay. So Adina, I did not get a chance to say hi to you. So hi to you. And are there any final thoughts or comments before we close today? Okie doke. Have a beautiful day, everyone. It's great to see you here today. Thank Have you. Shabbat shalom. You. And God willing, we'll good see Shabbos. you next time. Bye. Have a good week, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. <clears throat>